We're going to bring it to you, the good, bad, the ugly, the stupid, and everything else in between. It's time for the most important news show in the world. It's time for New Noise. Got a couple of co-anchors here, bringing you all the latest and greatest in the world of rock. Myself, Aaron Camaro, and my co-anchor, Mr. Chris Sinzak. What's going on, brother? You ready to break it down and see what's going on in the world? Yeah, I got a few things to cover this week, uh, and actually something I want to just audible on and, and bring up right now because I just finished listening to it. Um, you know, typically when Gene Simmons does an interview, it's the, the same cliches over and over again, and the six minutes is over and he's done. Um, actually, I got to give props to fellow podcaster and comedian Dean Del Rey, who just had Gene on his show for like an hour and 40 minutes, and I just finished listening to it. Oh, nice. And, uh, it's a great interview. Now, of course, Gene gets all those typical cliche answers in at times, and even at times where Dean's trying to steer clear of them, Gene will inject them into the conversation anyway. But uh, a lot of good stuff covered in there. He talks about going to see Van Halen for the first time. Something interesting he mentioned that I don't, I don't think I knew before, that B.B. Buell was his date that night at the Starwood in Hollywood. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. She lives here in Nashville. She does. I was like, eh, interview her sometime. That would be awesome. She, You know she's got some awesome stories. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then, the, you know, a few they go into, like, gear talk about, like, his basses and amps and stuff from back in the 70s, which was pretty fascinating. Right on. Um, stuff he never really touches on. He didn't bring up Vinnie Vincent, which surprises me, because Dean brings up Vinnie Vincent a lot in interviews with other people when Kiss gets brought up. But uh, he's steer clear to that. But, uh when Vinnie Vincent comes up with Gene, it's just the same old dismiss it, dismiss it, and move on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Gene gives the standard answer for that anyway. But one thing that was kind of cool was back in the early 90s, uh, Dean and his friend were the, they were the show bookers for The Stone in San Francisco. And that was one of the stops when Kiss did the uh, Revenge Club tour before the, the full tour kicked off. That's cool. So he brought that up. He brought up uh, memories of uh, Kiss played the Cow Palace in San Francisco the night that Elvis Presley died. He brought that up. Wow. Um, the craziest thing he brought up, which surprised me, was he brought up the Sam Loomis video leaks to him. <laughs> really? What did Gene yeah. have to say about that? Not as much as you would hope. Uh, he was kind of dismissive about it, but like dean was bringing up kurt gooch's name and oh wow like, and like you know yeah and i heard that he stole this stuff and did is the band going after him for this and gene was just like kind of coy about it he's like well you know he's like there's a lot of stuff going on and uh you know our lawyers they're always working on things but it was kind of a very generalized answer so i mean part of me almost thinks he doesn't even know about it huh so i don't know i was like Wow, wow, the ball's on Dean to bring that up. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, kudos to that. <laughs> yeah, good good on him for doing that. Uh, that tells you what a nerd he is if he if he knows about all that stuff, you know. It takes balls, you know, balls to ask something like that. Yeah, yeah it does. So, uh, interesting interview if uh it, it's on it's on his uh it's like it's called Let There Be Talk is the name of his podcast. So, check that out. Gene Simmons an hour and 40 minutes long. Just wanted to give a tip of the hat to Dean Del Rey cuz it was a great interview. Right on. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Um but yeah, so let's get into the stories I pre-planned to have on here. We were going to do this on Friday, but uh, b between a water heater and me having way too much to drink, uh, it was a bad idea. Yeah, you weren't the only one. If you missed it, 
Chris and I did Friday Night Live last Friday night. If you didn't get a chance to check it out live, you can always check out the replay right now on Decibel Geek TV on YouTube. The craziest episode of Friday Night Live we've ever done for sure. It started out with me on the phone in the garage with a couple of my plumber friends. If you live in Nashville or around Nashville, you need plumbing help, my guys, Fox Plumbing. <laughs> Last plug, I promise. <laughs> But they were oh, here boy. helping me out, and the time ran over as to when Chris was ready to start. And we always start at 7 o'clock sharp, but I wasn't quite ready. So, yeah, we made it through it. I had over a six-pack during the course of that uh, adventure, but, so yeah, we I. had a good time. Yeah, it was good, but, uh, yeah, you bring up plumbers, but I don't have any Ace Fraley stories today. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the first story, just, just kind of interesting, kind of cool marketing. Um that there's 25 foot inflatable Ozzy Osbournes popping up across the country. That's fantastic. Uh, it's a part of the promotion for the Patient Number Nine album that's coming out on September 9th, and uh, it's it's been seen in several different places. Uh, there's it's in I think Las Vegas and uh, Brooklyn. I think showed Is it, it like a blimp that flies over the city or an inflatable no. thing that sits on the ground. It just it's just a stand up inflatable of Ozzy. It's like twenty five foot tall Ozzy huh. with the cross that's necklace. That's going to be in Nashville. I'd love to get my picture taken with that. That's kind of the point of them putting them up. Is it's like perfect for selfies. So yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. But uh, the I funniest. And it, it, this would have been a better joke on Friday Night Live because one of the photos is Ozzy, this inflatable Ozzy on top of a building, and the comp- the company name is Gold Diggers Entertainment. And I was going to make a nice Sharon joke, but I decided oh. not to. Um, but anyway, I don't I don't have my rim shot sound effect on on hand. Um, that's one thing. Um, the big story from last week, which it's kind of sad. It was you know it's a slow news week when this is the big story. Motley Crue shocks fans by how does he really shock fans by doing this to sharing full frontal naked photo from his bathroom on Instagram talking about Tommy Lee yeah Tommy Lee um hmm (laughs) uh yeah and I I gotta tell you I I had the uh it was no fun to open Instagram that morning and for some reason that was the first thing served up to me before it got taken down I open it up. I'm like, "What the fuck?" Crazy. Yeah. That Tommy Lee, I, you know, he ain't afraid to show it. He ain't ashamed of it. Hey, if if I had that, I'd be doing the same well, thing. Well, I'm just saying, you know, I've got, you know, I didn't grow up in the age of cell phones and all that, where selfies and dick pics and all that was a thing. When my kid was young, like a teenager, mm-hmm. he got busted one time doing it. We said, oh, that's, you know, you can't put that out there. You know, are you crazy? You know, that's, they say the internet's forever, you know, so, so you can't do that, you know, and so I was never really into dick pics, but one day I thought, you know what? I'm going to send one to the wife. Oh God, you didn't. And it was first thing in the morning and I don't know, man, maybe the sun was shining through the window just perfectly, but it looked glorious and I was so proud to send it to her. And now every once in a while, just out of nowhere. I'll send it to her. (laughs) But it's such a magnificent photo that I want to secretly share it with everybody, but I know I can't. Yeah, please don't. (laughs) I'm glad to know a lot about you, but I don't need to I don't need to know that. (laughs) But, you know, Tommy Lee, he looks great in any light. So he's proud to show that off. And 
he's Tommy Lee, so he can get away with it. People expect that from him. They're not going to yeah. appreciate it from me. <laughs> no, we don't have a, a Patreon level for that, thankfully. Maybe we'd make a lot of money. Who knows? We'll start up the Aaron Camaro OnlyFans. Yeah, it'll be like, the, you know, our three female listeners would uh, chime in for that. The one percenters. Yeah. Um, sorry, Mighty K. I didn't mean to <laughs> bring that, to drag you into that. Um, although my favorite, there, and of course, you know, the internet is is always undefeated when it comes to making quips and jokes about stuff. And uh, there was a lot of funny things that, that came out with uh, with this whole thing with Tommy's junk. And my favorite, though, was, I don't remember who posted it, but it was, it's just not fair. Def Leppard has a drummer with one arm and Motley Crue has one with three. I saw that. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, but, yeah, That's so, awesome. I mean, it's already kind of passed, so people finally shut up about it. So, of course, I'm bringing it back up. That doesn't help. But, I mean, if you think about it, it's pretty great marketing because everybody it, was talking about it. I definitely got people talking. Um, okay, next story. Uh, Rush's Alex Lifeson and Getty Lee got back up on stage together to do Closer to the Closer to the Heart. Did you see this? No, I didn't see that. They, uh, it happened at Red Rocks Amphitheater in Denver as part of a celebration marking the 25th anniversary of the show South Park. Oh, I heard about that. And uh, they were joined for the performance by uh, by their friends in Primus, as well as Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And there's vi- there's video up of it. And uh, it's pretty cool. It's just good to see those guys back on stage together. And um, I don't think Rush proper will ever come back together again but i wouldn't be surprised if those two pop up and do a song here or there for stuff like that i mean they could even just do a project together yeah just don't call it rush just call it getty and alex or something yeah i'd be down with that yeah i would too um next story uh joey belladonna had some uh, interesting quotes in a recent interview about his uh initial dismissal from anthrax did you see this i did not well, you were busy replacing water heaters, so of course you haven't seen that. <laughs> Amongst other things. Um, but, you know, this Self-photography. was... Self-photography. Yeah, this was kind of interesting because, uh, you know, typically, you know, somebody in this position where he's in the band now would not want to kind of bring the dirt up on, on a show, but he really did... He really made it clear on this. He was on a recent episode of the Beer, Rum, and Rock and Roll podcast, which I haven't heard of that till today, but... Uh, He says, I didn't quit. Like, I wanted to sit around for 13 years while these guys just kept going. People don't want to hear it, but that's the truth. Why would I quit? He says, forget about that record without me, I guess referring to Sound of White Noise. I could have been on that record regardless of what they came up with. Let's just pretend they didn't even write the record yet. That record would have been cool, too, regardless of what you're already familiar with. I'm not saying whatever was on there wasn't right. I was in that car that rode into that record. I got sideswiped out of there. So, yeah, I didn't quit. I didn't quit anything. I don't want anybody thinking that because I wouldn't have the heart to do that. And then uh, he addressed the fact that uh, he returned to Anthrax despite being publicly dissed by Charlie and Scott over the years because I do remember a lot of bad things being said. And he says some people are like, are like, why are the hell are you back with them? Why would you go back? That's stupid, man. You're an idiot. She cheated on you twice, dude. Don't go back with her. Wow. Come on, man. She's just going to go out with other the other guy tomorrow night. It took them a long time to go, you suck, we didn't like you that much, and now you're all right. <laughs> he says, every day when I walk, every day I walk in their presence in the room knowing that these people felt that way because I never felt that way about them, 
I don't feel that way about those people. I respect and I highly recommend everything that they do. And obviously I'm back and I dig what we're doing right now. I dig what we're doing, but it's hard and you get a complex, you know. So it was pretty uh pretty honest That's answers. Pretty wild. Yeah, but it's kinda wild to be saying that stuff while you're in the band, you know, it's like but I guess that's all common knowledge. And between them, they worked it out to a place where they could get back together and, you know, it would be a pretty big deal and move forward with that lineup, you know, with Joey in the band. So I'm sure it's a little uncomfortable and it's not a lot of fun knowing, you know, it's like you're friends with a guy and you went into business together, but then, you know, you kind of got fired from the business and then afterwards they talked shit about you and then one day they're like, hey, you want to join the business again? Yeah. And if you were in a place where you said, you know, I really ain't got a whole lot going on on my own. I know it would be a big deal to the fans for me to come back and rejoin Anthrax. It sucks what you guys did, mm-hmm. but, you know, let's do it. I mean, I, reading between the lines in that interview, I kind of got the impression that the, it's more of an understanding than a friendship now. And it's like, we're better off financially with you singing and you're better off financially fronting the band. So let's make it work. I, I don't get the feeling that they're all buddy, buddy. I mean, Scott and Scott and Charlie are obviously friends and Frank Bellow, I guess is kind of in the middle because he doesn't seem to be, it just seems like Charlie and Scott run everything in that band. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like Frank has a say. I could be wrong about that, but I don't know. I just get the impression that Joey and Jonathan are, kind of the hired guns of the band maybe i'm wrong that's just the impression it gives me now it seems like it yeah either way the lineup they have now is like super solid oh and yeah yeah i'm the albums they've come out with since joey's been back have been amazing and i'm a big fan of the john bush era too you know and it's cool too. to see that joey's you know and what he says about sound of white noise is correct because now they're starting to move into where joey is singing vocals on some of those songs mm-hmm yeah, and I uh, oh, another thing I saw before today that I, I didn't get to add to the list here, but I, it, it's Anthrax related. So, do you remember Paul Crook, who was in the band for a little while towards the end of the '90s? Sure, I do. So, you know, I still follow him on Facebook, especially because Volume Eight is like one of my favorite Anthrax records. I'm like one of me and Victor and two other people think that it's a good one. I followed him on Facebook, and like, so you know, they canceled a few shows uh, in Texas. Uh, about a week ago yes and he posted today that he said okay i guess i can let the cat out of the bag now but a lot of bands have understudies in these times with the covid with covid protocols and you know insurance and stuff and he said that he had gotten the call to join the tour in texas when they were doing these cancellations because he might have to sub for one of the guys yeah um it didn't happen and everybody's okay now and he flew back home today but i thought that was interesting that it was almost a situation where paul crook got up on stage with him that would have been pretty cool it's been a long time yeah i like that era of the band i do too and i'd like to do a volume eight albums unleashed with paul crook if i can get him to if i could talk him into it i've asked like three times yeah (laughs) yeah because he helped produce the record too i believe wow yeah but yeah, and you know, and he went on to do a lot of work with Meatloaf too. Towards the end of his life, he was kind of his musical director. Yeah, that's cool. But yeah, very important utility player in rock and roll and metal. But uh, no, I just you know, and we're excited because 
probably by the time you hear this, will have gone to the Anthrax show. Yeah. So that, that's coming up Tuesday. Totally stoked for that. Black Label Society, Hate Breed. Yep. Oh, it's going to be killer. Yeah, at a at a church. <laughs> the Ryman. Yeah, yeah. I saw an interview with Scotty and um, Sean Maloney, who I've known for a long time. He writes for the Nashville scene, and he did an interview with Scott about the show, and he was like... So is this, when's the last time you played a, a venue with church pews for seats? He says, uh, never. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I suppose not. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he brought up that um, Anthrax played Sal's, which was a rock and roll club in the 80s here uh, in 1986. I've heard of the legend. Yeah. And uh, he brought it up and Scott had zero memory of it at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, I don't remember that. But the cool thing about playing the Ryman is you got to figure, you know, that place is so unique and so historical that it's got to be a trip for those guys to play there in such a unique, yeah. cool place. Yeah, he's looking forward to so it. I'm sure, it's like, a, every time a band plays there, that's got to be a pretty memorable experience. I can't wait for Zach Wilde's guitar solo in that place. Yeah. That's going to be mind-blowing, I'm sure. All right, so uh, bringing Ozzy back into this, I saw this story uh, that Ozzy showed up at the Commonwealth Games, I think it's in Europe or U- the U.K., um, and did a song with Tony Iommi. Oh, nice. Yep, they did uh, Paranoid in front of the whole crowd there. And Adam Wakeman, who played bass and keyboards, and Tommy Clufettos played drums on it. That's pretty damn cool. I'll have to look at that. That's kind of surprising he got up and played. That's that's impressive. Well, you know, it's not like he's on tour. You know, it's not like he's doing it night after night, and it's not even like he's performing more than one song. For one song, then guys, he can handle it. Yeah. Oh, it was in uh, his hometown of Birmingham, England. So cool. Very cool. I seen a thing not too long ago that a guy, this has been out for a while, I guess, but there's been a petition going around for Ozzy to be knighted in England. That would be cool. You knight guys like the Beatles and you knight guys like Elton John. What about Ozzy? And they yeah. said it was getting damn close to the required amount of people in the UK to sign the petition that it may happen. That would be something, wouldn't it? It would be very cool. Going from uh, getting banned from the Alamo to being knighted in England. And that's the crazy thing. You know, you think about that where, you know, Ozzy is legendary, obviously, but back in the 80s, I mean, Ozzy was a guy to be feared. I always tell the story, you know, I got my first Ozzy albums and my dad was like, geez, I don't know if I should let you listen to that. Yeah. (laughs) I hear a lot of crazy things about this guy, you know, and so people were a little bit of afraid of Ozzy and he was crazy, you know, and nowadays they're talking about knighting him. It's amazing how far we've come. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I as think a that race, re- you know, as a well, human race. <laughs> I mean, I think the, the the Osborne show definitely softened his image quite a bit. Yeah, you know, made totally. Him, made him a lot more, uh, less freaky. But yeah, I remember in the 80s, everybody was, was paranoid about him and freaked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Satanic panic era. He was the king of it. Yeah. Uh, here's a story that I know you're interested in. Wednesday 13 have announced their new album, Horrifier, that's coming out. Heck yeah, I'm excited for that. I love Wednesday 13. I just only hope, because there's two different Wednesday 13s, really. You know, there's like the hard rock fun band, you know, that plays like songs like we talked about last time on Demolicious. And we played the demo for Morgue and Mindy. 
and it was a fun, mm-hmm. hard rocking tune. I love that stuff. And then the other side you get of Wednesday 13 is like the super heavy metal, almost thrash death metal Wednesday 13. And you know what? Some of that stuff's pretty good too. So it'll be interesting to see what the new Wednesday 13 is going to be all about. According to this press release, it's a brand new slathering of 11 terrifyingly grim and groovy anthems to get the blood pumping and brains melting. And... It says, showcasing a blend of styles plucked from his solo band's 20-year career, Horrifier weaves an underlying sonic thread reminiscent of Wednesday 13's Roots, a raucous blend of ballistic metal and macabre heavy rock that'll have new and diehard fans alike ascending from the depths. As always, various tracks on the album are inspired by classic horror flicks, this time circling cult favorite slasher John Carpenter's Halloween and the iconic Christine Supernatural thrillers. That's what I'm talking about right there. I like that. And the album's lead single, You're So Hideous, which is out now, uh, is accompanied by an Exorcist-inspired official music video. Sweet. I didn't so, even yeah, know so, about that. I'm going to be looking at that as soon as we're done here. Yeah, so it sounds like pretty interesting uh, record coming out. So, yeah, I'm excited. I knew you would be happy to hear this. I will be rising from the depths to pick that one up. I didn't know Mike Dupke was in this band. I didn't either. Huh. That's cool. He used to be in Hair of the Dog. He's the drummer. Yeah, very cool. That's cool. He's a hell of a drummer, too. Perfect for them. Here's a... Uh, <laughs> uh, this definitely got my attention as uh, somebody who puts on events, because it's one of those... What sounds like another cautionary tale of be careful. Uh, California's Flannel Nation Festival was canceled due to ongoing problems and logistical setbacks. It said uh, it was set to take place August 13th at the Port of Los Angeles in San Pedro, which that's where Cruise Fest is happening. Hmm. Um, among the artists which were scheduled to perform were Everclear, Filter, Candlebox, Soul Asylum, Cracker, Fastball, Sponge, Star Zero, X-Wire, and Sugar Ray. That actually sounds pretty cool. I would probably buy a ticket. I like to some of those that. bands. I do too. Um, especially Cracker. That was an underrated yeah, band. Yeah, I like oh, Cracker. Um Everclear, Filter, and Candlebox initially announced that they were dropping out of the event, with Everclear citing a, quote, inadequate means to provide the level of experience our fans expect and deserve while attending an Everclear show, uh, which that's a little vague, and says the festival organizers later said the event was being called off, saying in a statement, we regret to announce that due to ongoing problems and logistical setbacks, putting on Flannel Nations be- as intended has become infeasible, therefore we're forced to make the tough decision to cancel this weekend's event. Our goal is to retool and reschedule the event. And here's the important part. Tickets will be honored for the new date when announced. Hmm. Which means you ain't getting a fucking refund. Yep. That's what that means a lot of times. Um, this is It's not good. And it's put on by this group called Sellout Productions. And uh, there's, I've read through a lot of the comments and stuff. And <clears throat> the crazy thing is, is the promoter started sharing... Well, at least on their side, behind the scenes information about why what happened, and essentially saying that uh, at least Everclear and maybe one of the other headliners that pulled out are not giving them their uh, advance back or their deposit back. Well, I mean that's kind of the way that works. If you got a talent that you want to book for an event, you give them the advance, and if you can't deliver the show, you don't get that advance back. Yeah, but they're saying they could have delivered the show, but Everclear decided to pull out. And I've also read in the comments that something like they didn't have 
they like didn't hire nearly enough security for it. But also there's there's word that it it wasn't selling as well as people thought it was because it it was initially set at like a small mini amphitheater, and then they moved it to like a brewery stage. Hmm. So which is usually a sign that this isn't selling well yeah. and they downsized the venue. So I don't know. It's uh. But I view every time this type of stuff happens, I view it with a cautionary thing because I, you 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 want to put on like the ultimate thing, but you also can't overextend yourself and and not be realistic about you know what people are going to pull. And that I get I get suggestions from people all the time. Oh, you got to have so and I'm not going to name names. But you got to have such and such band or this band from the '70s or '80s. Yeah, why don't you bring in Ozzy? To rock and yeah, pod, but, you know? Well, I'll... He, uh, so it's both extremes. Why don't you bring in Ozzy? Well, A, there's no chance in hell I could afford Ozzy. Right. Um, and B, the other thing is they'll come up with, say, why don't you book this band that never really had a hit but you all love? and But, like, it all depends on backline, deposits, a guarantee amount, flights, hotel... There's so many different things that come into play and you as a promoter you have to you have to think ahead and be like, well, am I going not that I don't even and when I do rock and pop, I don't even look at making money so much. I just don't want to lose my ass. Right. <laughs> so it's you got to be like, am I going to lose my ass on this? Is there going to be enough of a return on the ticket to justify paying all these expenses to to bring this per, this band in or this person in? And you have to be honest with yourself. That's where you have to step outside the fanboy thing and be like, okay, what's realistic here? So, and I've won some and I've lost some with people I've brought in. You know, that's just the way it works. Yeah, you got to look at the big picture of everything. And, you know, hey, another example of why everybody doesn't just put on, you know, amazing conventions, you know, get togethers, rock and pods, festivals, things like that. It's not easy to do, it's a lot of balance, but. Speaking of balance, I can balance that story out because I was very happy to see such good reviews of Masquerade and Brad Lee Entertainment. Yeah, sounds like it went off really well. Yeah, I came across an article by All Music Magazine, and it's a pretty amazing article because it's got descriptions of what's going on all three days, pro photos of all the performances. It's amazing, and... I read the whole thing and it sounded like it was a good time all the way through. Yeah, it, uh, I uh, I heard the same and I was following posts about it. I had several friends that were there and yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, Brad, I feel your pain. I know how hard it is to do that stuff. So I yeah, he yeah, went through a yeah. lot to get that to happen. I mean, and through the whole pandemic and even at the last Rock and Pod, it was you know in its formation yep. of it trying to happen and. It got pushed back. It got pushed back. But, you know, you got to give it up to Brad Lee because he never gave it up. He kept fighting until the very end. And in the end, he delivered an amazing event with a whole shit ton of great bands and a whole lot of happy fans to be there. Yeah. So it sounded like everything went off fantastically. And it's good to know that, you know, things are kind of turning around and decent promoters are out there putting on fantastic events and able to pull it off. So for every flannel nation failure <laughs> and probably many more, you know, you got yeah. the guys that can pull it off and Bradley did it. I'm proud of that guy. He's super cool. And I never doubted him for a minute. 
No, nah, me neither. He's he's a great guy, and he and his heart's in the right place, and he does everything for the right reasons. So, um, but yeah, no, yeah, my hats off to him, and hopefully he'll want to work with me again to, next year on uh, on Rock and Pod. I'd love to have his involvement some more. So possibly yeah, it'd be great to see him there. Yeah, it would. Okay, uh, here's another late story that I saw that um, we kind of touched on Andy McCoy the last time we did New Noise, uh, being unhappy with Motley Crue, but. This is kind of another facet of that that's interesting. John Karabi did uh, an interview. Who did he do the interview with? Uh, Oh, on uh, Adika Live, which is Stefan Adika's show. Um, Talking about when he he ran into Andy McCoy and had a really rough encounter with him a few years back. And he says, I met Andy the first time while I was playing guitar with Rat. We played, it was a huge club in Helsinki, and afterwards Andy took me and Bobby Blotzer out to a nightclub, and it was like, I love Andy, but holy shit, he's just a whole other, like, out there. So we hung out, and everything was great, and then a couple years later I went back to to a Swedish rock festival, and I didn't realize it, but a very good friend of mine, Connie Bloom, who plays with the Electric Boys, was playing with Hanoi Rocks. So I was kind of walking by, and and Connie called me over, so I went over and sat at the table they're sitting at, and Andy was just kind of staring at me. I had a red scarf. I was just kind of had it tied around the top of my head, and he took offense to me wearing the scarf because it was like that's my thing. <laughs> so some wow. so somebody said, "Oh, Andy, this is John. He sang with Motley Crue." <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> and I thought Andy was seriously going to pummel me to death. He had his cane and he came at me with his fucking cane, and he was like literally wanting to hit me with it. So I grabbed, no, 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 not that singer. Yeah, so I grabbed the cane, and then his wife, Angela, and Connie came over. He had this cane with a skull on top of it. It was a black cane. Honestly, I was kind of pissed. I'm like, what the fuck is your problem, dude? I've already met you before. And I'm holding on to the cane, and I'm going, he doesn't have a fucking clue. He's out to lunch. And I'm sitting there like, okay. So I kind of let it go, let go of the cane. Connie and... Connie came over, Angela came over, and they were like, dude, that's not Vince, that's John, different singer. And he kind of settled down, but I was like, dude, seriously, I'll fucking beat you to death with your own cane. Stop this shit. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, what a story. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, But then later, you know, he also touched on why Andy's upset with Motley Crue, and he's like, his fucking beef, and I can't say that I blame him, was that Motley had had just released music to crash your car to, and he was not having it. And he sat there with this very difficult to understand English. He sat there and he was like, I think that's fucking bullshit. Nikki and those guys are nothing but a bunch of scumbags. And he was just going on and on about how he felt it was distasteful. Not only did they call it music to crash your car to, but there was a volume one and then they turned around and did a volume two. So it was like a double shove up Andy and Michael's ass. You know, I never really thought about that before. Yeah, he says, and they weren't happy about it. And I can't say that I blame them. I was like, okay, dude, I had nothing to do with that. Here's when I was in the band. I'm out. You've got a whole other issue with those guys. So he gave him a hug, and everything was fine. But, uh, but yeah, Andy McCoy sounds like uh, don't bring Motley Crue up if Andy McCoy's around. No, definitely not. Unless you're looking for uh, good headlines for your podcast. <laughs> yeah, it'll get you the blabbermouth love for sure. All right, you ready for the what the fuck story of the week? Sure. This is like, I'm trying so, and maybe you can play devil's advocate here and and agree with what's being said here, but I I find this story incredibly hard to believe. Mark Torian says Metallica's James Hetfield was a big champion for the Bullet Boys in the 1980s. Hmm. 
doesn't seem like the kind of band that Metallica would associate themselves with. No. Uh, he did a marked an inter- interview with 96.7 KCAL FM uh, program called Wired in the Empire. I want to make sure I have credit to where it's due. He says, I love James Hetfield. He was a big champion for the Bullet Boys when we first started playing and w- would come to all of our shows when we played up north. He would come walking in and he would hang with us, love on us, drink some whiskey and beer with us, and stay there through the whole show. He says, when we started playing up in Frisco, I hate people that say Frisco instead of San Francisco, we played at a place called The Stone, which is funny, I mentioned that earlier. And he was always there to come and see us. He said that the first Bullet Boys record blew his mind because he didn't think a band could come out and have that sound. Wow. He, He goes, the sound you have in Ted Templeman... And he said, this record is going to last forever. We laughed because he goes, no, 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 listen to me. And that's young James with his mustache, handlebar mustache, full of piss and vinegar. He's looking at us with that look in his eyes, and it was kind of scary. He goes, dudes, I'm telling you right now, don't F this up. This will be for the rest of time, this album. I know you idiots don't know it right now, but I'm telling you, this is one of the greatest rock records that I've ever heard. Wow. There's no way this is a real thing. You gotta think, you know. Okay, I'll play devil's advocate for you. <laughs> so, I mean, back then, if you want to go to a party where there's a bunch of good-looking girls all over the place, and you want to go get hammered and just have a good time, and none of your fans are going to be around to bother you, you go to a Bullet Boys concert if you're James <laughs> Hetfield. Yes. Now, you're at the Bullet Boys concert, you're getting hammered, there's pretty girls all over the place, you got to get backstage. So you go to the Bullet Boys, you blow a little smoke up their ass. Tell them, you guys are the fucking best. I love you guys. In the meantime, you're just pounding beers, doing shots, getting smooched by the girls all over the place. Now you're backstage hanging with the Bullet Boys. None of your fans, nobody there is asking you for an autograph because you're at a Bullet Boys concert. Right. You're having the time of your life. Sounds pretty good. That's about the only way it makes it even close to plausible. I, <laughs> Mark Torian is, is, must be having dementia or something. I don't know. But, and then he, he went on, and this is, I guess this, this one's, this isn't too bad. He's like, I love Metallica. Back in the day, my place to go was the Troubadour because at the front door, you'd get the hottest chicks. We were all young, and all the big stars would hang out there. And when Metallica was first starting, that's where they would hang out. I, I believe that. They used to hang out with all of our friends, and everybody at one point used to hang out with them, and they were really good people. They were a full thrash band, though, when they first came out. It was like something you'd never heard before. It was very, very dangerous. They didn't care. Cliff Burton was in the band, and Cliff, for all intents and purposes, he was the guy writing the songs with James. Um, Maybe James really did think they were amazing. Nah. You don't know? Is James... Well, the only... and I was reading through comments, and like the only thing that somebody could maybe tie it to was um, if I don't know if James is a big Van Halen fan from the early days because if he is maybe because of the connection with Ted Templeman maybe that yeah. got him to be interested in it I, that's a big stretch still though I love the Bullet Boys record don't get me wrong no I do too I, it just seems odd that James Hetfield would be telling him it's one of the greatest records of all time I'm like right, that seems like a bit much I wonder if he still jams it, like he's got the CD in his car. 
it's just any time I've ever heard James or Lars talk about music that they love, nothing like 80s <laughs> hair bands never comes up. And it's always Diamond you know, Head man, and we, stuff like that. We love that. the Diamond Head and we love Budgie and we love that early Maiden and that early Priest and 80s Bullet Boys. <laughs> yeah. One of these things is not like the others. Merciful fate, you know? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't wait to talk to you about this story because I was like, really? That's awesome. <laughs> Mark is also the same guy who claimed that he was buddies with Dave Grohl a few years ago and, and kept saying over and over again in an interview that uh, that Foo Fighters was going to take them out on a uh, on tour with them. Oh, yeah, I do remember that being a kind of a weird news story last yeah. year. We're still waiting for that for tour to happen. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Pretty wild, man. Mark yeah. Torian's got some cool stories. Yeah, whether they're believable or not is another story. Yeah. Want to do some rock star birthdays? Sure. All right. Got some birthdays coming up this week, man. You want to feel old? You want to feel old for a minute? I already do, but let's go. On Tuesday, Madonna is turning 64 years old. Wow. And, yeah. I mean, we were around when she was a young chick rolling around on stage singing about what it must have been like to be a virgin. Yep. I saw that on the Video Music Awards live when it happened. Yeah, she was a pretty big big deal back then, but not metal. Uh, also on Tuesday, our friend Jason Tucker from the Metalheads Unite celebrates a birthday. Then on Wednesday, Steve Gorman from the Black Crows celebrating a birthday, cool. along with Belinda Carlisle. From the Go-Go's. Oh, I had such a crush on her. Oh, me too, man. I still like the Go-Go's. Like, they got some choice songs. Not all of them. But you can cherry pick some really cool stuff out of the Go-Go's discography. Some of it very hooky and rocking. Uh, also on Wednesday, our awesome friend and star of This Is Your Decibel Geek Life, Mark Starsky. Oh, nice. Happy birthday, Happy birthday, Starsky. Starsky. On Thursday, our awesome friend, Ron Jones from Let It Rip. Been through a lot of cool adventures with that guy throughout the years with the hanging out at Rockin' Pod, and he was the one that showed up with us the night of Gary Corbett's celebration of life. That's right. Good, oh. close friend of ours, man. We love Ron Jones celebrating a birthday on Thursday. Ron's turning that. 25. Can you believe it? <laughs> oh, I love that guy. Then on Friday, Ian Gillen, I think the classic era vocalist of Deep Purple. I thought you were going to say Black Sabbath. Well, <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. He's celebrating a birthday born in 1945. He's old. The oldest person on our birthday list. <laughs> Speaking about the 1%. Celebrating a birthday on Friday, Missy Rachel Chava. Oh, happy birthday, Missy. One of the few ladies that listens to the show. That's henceforth why we call them the one percenters. I think I saw uh, her mention in a comment that she's moving here. Really? Yeah, That's I think awesome. So. I think you like it, Nashville. Happy birthday, Missy. Also on Friday, celebrating a birthday, our friend and host of The Rock Experience, Mike Brunn. Happy birthday, Mike. Yeah, then on Saturday, two of the most influential lead vocalists of all time. Mm. 
You don't really mention these two in the same sentence a lot, but sharing a birthday on Saturday, Fred Durst and Robert Plant. Oh, they're like peanut butter and jelly. (laughs) (laughs) When I think of one, I automatically think of the other. (laughs) Well, what would be awesome is if, like, they had their birthday party together. Oh, yeah. And to be there and see that, see how that would be. Fred Durst and Robert Plant celebrating their birthdays together. And then the mushrooms wear off. (laughs) Hard to believe that Robert Plant is younger than Ian Gillen. Is he? Yeah. Wow. Gillen born in 45. Wow. Robert Plant born in 48. Huh. Then on Sunday, happy birthday to one of the most awesome vocalists ever, one of my all-time favorites, known for so many different projects and so many different amazing albums over the years. Still out there doing it with the Dead Daisies. Happy birthday on Saturday to Glenn Hughes. Awesome. I was just listening to Seventh Star the other day. Oh, man, that's an amazing album. I freaking love Glenn Hughes. Yeah, he's awesome on that record. Everything from Trapeze on down the line. The stuff he did with them was amazing. The stuff he did with Sabbath was awesome. Hughes Thrall has got some great stuff on there. I mean, all his solo albums at least have a handful of really great songs on them. I can't recommend Glenn Hughes enough. One of the greatest vocalists of all time, in my opinion, and one of my personal favorites. Awesome. Then also on Sunday, can you believe it, Ron's wife Tracy's birthday. Wow, they have a birthday in the same week? Birthday in the same week. What wow. an amazing time those guys are going to be having. That's so cool. happy birthday to Ron and Tracy, both great friends of ours. And wrapping up the rock star birthdays, Jimmy Waldo celebrates a birthday on Sunday. New England, Alcatraz, yeah. Quiet Riot. He played with Quiet Riot? I think he, for like, as a, uh, on tour, maybe. Huh, I didn't know that. I think. Maybe not. But I know he was Bob Kulik's go-to guy. Well, that's cool. For a lot of those projects. So those are your rock star birthdays. Happy birthday, dear rock stars. Happy birthday to you. Yeah. There you go. There you have it. All right. New segment. I've never done that before. All right. Trying to add some stability and flow to this mess. <laughs> it's not that bad. We're doing okay. <laughs> right? It's not that great either, but we're doing all right. What other stories you got? Uh, I got a couple left. Um, this was, I just thought this was funny. Gary Holt from Exodus has a, a great uh, had, to, had a great quote in an interview. Uh, he says, "I'm convinced and have been for decades that there's more than one Lemmy, or at least there was." He says, "We ex- talking about Exodus used used to back in the day to squander more money on tours. We, when we did a European tour, we insisted that we had to spend a week in London first to acclimate to the time change." Basically, it was us partying like fucking animals for five to seven days. Nice. This was when Lemmy still lived in England and London, and we'd go out to a bar, and there's Lemmy. We used to go up and hang out with him, do some drugs or whatever, and have some drinks. We're going to go to this other place. All right, see you guys later. And we get there, and he's already sitting at the bar. I mean, he's been there for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) And And then we went to another place, and he's there ahead of us, and we left him sitting at the bar. Wow. And ever, ever since then, we were convinced that there's at least three different Lemmys because he couldn't have possibly done it. Wow. But, you know, Lemmy is God. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> wow. What a That's story. Awesome. That's one of the best stories I've heard in an interview in a long yeah. time. <laughs> I love it, man. That's that's why it's so important to do interviews with these people when they're out there, you know. That's why it's so good that there's so many podcasts out there that are talking to so many different people 
for stories like that, you know? I would that'd been terrible if he would have took that to the grave with him and never told that story to anybody where nobody would have ever heard it. It's freaking mm. awesome. I love it. That's hilarious. And then last one, you sent me this story. I thought it was pretty cool. Joe, Joel Hoekstra and Brandon Gibbs have announced uh, acoustic duo tour dates in uh, September. And, uh, you know, Joel Hoekstra from Whitesnake and then Brandon Gibbs, of course, from Devil City Angels and a look yeah. kind of with Poison uh, with the rest of the guys. And uh, they're going to do an acoustic duo tour. And I guess, the, uh, yeah, they're going to play, you know, songs from throughout the histories of the bands they played. And, of course, Joel also played with uh, Night Ranger and several other artists. So yeah. that should be pretty cool. I, I'm just bummed it's not coming to Nashville, but it's good to see these two are getting out on the road. Yeah, it's very cool. I saw that. It made me happy because we interviewed Brandon Gibbs one time back in the day, and I think that was the weekend of the Farm Rock thing. Yep. And he was super cool to us, gave us a great interview. You know, I really like that uh, Devil City Angels CD. Mm-hmm got some great songs on it i was happy to see them out doing something you know yeah i always like brandon i'm glad to see he's out there doing some good stuff yeah he's a good guy very talented singer and uh yeah one of the tour dates is on the september 24th they're playing in pauling new york at daryl's house and you know about daryl's house no uh -uh. it's a it's well did you ever see the daryl hall from hall and oats that does this live at daryl's house show on youtube where he has Uh, guests come out and play with him uh no Okay, Mr. Uppity Duran Duran fan. <laughs> oh, Hall and Oates. Don't get snooty about Hall and Oates when you're when you're you're blasting Duran Duran and earlier you mentioned your love of the Go Go's. Come on now. Oh man. Yeah, I'm there. But not, and not, if you haven't seen Live at Daryl's House, it's really good though. I mean, yeah, they do they will do some Hall and Oates songs, but it's it's goes back and forth between Hall and Oates stuff and the guest music. Like they've had Billy Gibbons on cheap trick came on um there's a lot of rock people that come on there and it's actually a lot of fun but anyway i guess they're actually opening that up for actual shows not just doing the tv show so i thought that was cool that they're going to play at that venue that's pretty cool i like that yeah all right well i got a couple more before we wrap it up i just thought we could maybe do this as a reoccurring thing i can tell you about some new albums coming out next week okay you got a new album from lillian axe Really? Remember, yeah, you remember Lillian X? Oh, yeah, I like them. This one's called From Womb to Tomb. Nice. And they got a new album. How many albums do they got? Are they, have, they, have they been around this whole time? I don't... Take I, I hadn't time. heard about them doing anything in a long well, time. Maybe I'm wrong. So, yeah, this is their first album in 10 years. That's what I thought. I, was, I knew it had been a while since they've done anything. That's pretty wild. Pretty cool. That'll be interesting to check out. What if that makes the top 10 of the end of the year you never know it might man i'll definitely check it out just on a curious curiosity factor alone yeah steve blaze is a great player also coming out this week the new album from five finger death punch yeah i know some people around here really like that i wanted to get some more information about it so i put in ffdp and hit, hit it on the google and i learned a lot of educational things but i don't know anything about the new album Oh, well, that helps. Great promotion, guys. Mm. No, I'm just saying a bunch of porn came up. Oh, God. With the FFPP. <laughs> ah, double penetrate. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I heard. <laughs> and uh, also this week, you get a new album from Soil Work. You remember that band? Yeah, but I haven't listened to them in 20 years, probably. 
Was that something you once listened to? <sighs> Am I thinking of... No, not... I'm thinking of Soil. That's who I'm Is Soil of. work like an industrial rock band? I think, okay, they're a melodic death metal band from yeah. Helsingborg. I don't... Helsingborg. To be, to be honest, I don't know that I've ever fully given them a chance. I know I've heard some yeah. other stuff, but I can't remember what it sounds like. So there you go. There are some of the new albums coming out this week you can check out. And uh, we can make that a recurring thing, too, so we can let everybody know if anything good is coming out the coming week. I guess I got one more story here. And this one's kind of an ongoing thing, but I thought it was kind of funny. Found this on rockcelebrities.net. And it's entitled, D. Snyder's Harsh Open Letter to Paul Stanley. Oh, boy. Now, you know Paul Stanley and D. Snyder don't get along very well. They haven't for quite a long time. Probably never. But D. Snyder made some criticisms a while back about Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer. He said, I don't understand how people could accept this. Wait, is that D. Snyder or Paul yeah. Stanley? No, that's that sounds more like Paul Stanley. Well, I gotta, sounded... I don't, what's D. Snyder? I don't understand <laughs> how people could accept this. Is that better? It's closer. Yeah. Closer? Okay, all right. Let me try this. A uh, little in between, a little uh, we're not going to take it. I don't understand how people would accept this. Tommy Thayer, it's so insulting. Not only did he play in a tribute band, he's also imitating Ace. His entire act is an Ace imitation. My theory is that fans forgave Kiss for I was made for loving you, and everything is acceptable after that. It was a disco song, people. It's not okay, and it was never okay. And they're playing it live now. Unbelievable. They play I Was Made For Loving You. A freaking disco song. Yeah. Oh boy. It's true. <laughs> D, D sounds like a high schooler from 1980. <laughs> All right, cool. Cool. Then I'm on it. I'm doing it right. Yeah. No, I'm just no, I'm saying his opinion. <laughs> it's just, I mean, like, I, you have bigger fish to fry when you consider Paul Stanley miming to tracks than you do Tommy Thayer. <laughs> you know? I guess. Well, Paul Stanley wasn't going to take that, so he said, Listen, this guy is a wannabe, has always been a wannabe, and desperately wants attention, and to be taken seriously. And that will never happen because he's obviously clueless that he and his whole band are a bunch of buffoons. People! Yeah, Paul Stanley, he's not going to take it. That, I'm almost positive that's an old quote. Well, it, it goes on because then D. Snyder. <laughs> God. He, uh, he comes back with like a full page reply to that. Oh, joy. In a letter to Paul Stanley of Kiss. Dear Paul. Oh, this is from 2015. Okay. I'm like, treating it like it's new news, but it's kind of still funny. He says. First off, thanks for giving me the attention, as you noted, I so desperately wanted. Now, I've always had nothing but respect for you and your band and you as a performer, but it really comes as no surprise that the feeling isn't mutual. For some reason, you are oddly threatened by me. This said, your recent comments about my band and me on Chris Jericho's podcast were a typical diversionary tactic used in an attempt to change the subject matter rather than answer the actual accusation or question. It's the oldest interviewing trick in the book. 
As far as my whole band being a bunch of buffoons goes, that's pretty ironic statement coming from you. The argument could easily be made that Kiss is the king of the buffoons. So in an odd way, you've paid Twisted Sister quite a compliment. And it takes one to know one. Lastly, on the subject of me being a wannabe, do you really think so? Well then, any time, any stage, but let's do this old school. No costumes, no pyro, no bullshit. Let's just get up there and rock, and I will bury you, son. <laughs> and he goes oh. on to say, P.S. Did I mention that I'm clean, sober, razor sharp, and fully capable of defending myself from any kind of lame attack? Just ask Al Gore. Oh, God. He pulls from that well still to this day. <laughs> Timely Al Gore, Al Gore sighting. That's that's great. Like most people reading that, I guess if you weren't old school fans, would be like, "Who the fuck is Al Gore?" Well, he invented the internet, you know. Oh yeah, we wouldn't. Without Al Gore, there would be no Decibel Geek podcast or any others. It's just kind of funny that these two guys are having a Twitter battle of wits when it's like, you in the past, men of their same age would like take their Metamucil and suck on a Werther's. <laughs> Yeah, that's what they should be doing. That's what they should be doing. Stop putting makeup on and getting on stage. Yeah. I don't know. At least D knew when to call it quits. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I guess so. But funny. it'd be interesting to see. Like, that should be a TV show, Battle of the Bands. Bands you know get up on stage and battle it all back and forth. I wish. But, yeah, like, but the ground rules have to include you can't use uh, a, a vocal track. Yeah, no backing tracks, yeah. nothing. And it's life or death. The losing band dies. Give it all you got. I got D. Snyder is one of the best front men of all time, and still, still has a powerful voice. So, uh, yeah. well, if he did, why did he retire? He's not gonna get the gigs Kiss gets. I mean, that's. Yeah. I think it's as simple as that. I, I think the rest of the guys in Twisted Sister didn't want to keep doing it. You know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Twisted Sister's not gonna be out playing arenas all the time. They did fine for the end of their career but i don't think there's a big demand for them anymore yeah maybe not who knows yeah they're not they're not pulling kiss concerts i guess no attendance oh man it's Ger- funny to hear the argument between those guys they're both so silly it's like the geriatric shock rock battle royale <laughs> <laughs> they're like two guys that got rooms across from each other at the old folks home and they're yelling at each other well there's another there's another show idea like think of like um think of like a almost like celebrity death match like what rock what rockers would you pit in like a, a grudge match against each other in a cage like if you were putting together like a, a <laughs> ufc event yeah, or or a wrestling event you know yeah or like what would the royal yeah, rumble like UFC, of rock they be? really fight each other or the royal rumble of rock you know, you start with like 20 different rock stars. They all have to be o- over 60 years old. Yeah. And then, you true. know, wh- whoever still has two intact hips at the end wins. <laughs> Which would be nobody. Yeah, nobody. None <laughs> and, of them. Well, half of them would Our have luck, rebuilt Tommy hips. Our would win. <laughs> yeah, he would. All right. Well, I guess that's the news for this week. We're going to be back with a new episode. If you missed Friday Night Live, that's up on the YouTube right now. Follow us on Facebook. Give us a like over there. We're, I know we're, as far as I don't know how it works, followers, we're over 8,000 likes. We're almost there. Yeah. Get us over 8,000 likes, please. We would love that. 
Leave a review, please. Leave us a review or a Facebook recommendation, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts. We've been out the last couple of weeks, so we could use some more of them. And, uh, yeah, as always, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. This has been your new noise. See ya.